Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Zach with EM Weekly. I'm joined with Andy. Uh, Andy is the founder of Tablet Command. We're going to be talking about uh, technology in the fire service, his time as a science teacher, and uh, also his time in Vermont, which I'm very excited about. I don't get to talk to a lot of Vermonters on this podcast. There's only like 20 of us in the entire world. So uh, I want to hear about his time in Vermont. But uh, Andy, I am uh, very excited to have you here. And is it is it Botso? Andy yeah. Botso? <laughs> That's a great question. So my whole life, I've had to wear that one. So <laughs> most people, like growing up, we were Bozo, and it was just, okay. there were a lot of Perfect. us. Perfect, yeah. It was yeah. an unfortunate spelling of the name for, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, sure, yeah. middle school through high school. Oh, 100%. But it was like, um, you know, I played sports, so it just fit right in. Yeah. And, um, you know, it gave me a lot of thick skin. But then growing up and learning more about the Italian culture, because I'm 100% Italian, yeah. uh, we found out that the correct pronunciations with the long O and the two Zs like pizza. So because my dad would always say, you don't order a piece of pizza, do you? <laughs> so um, it's bozzo, but bozzo. You know, people say people say bozzo, bozzo, yeah. bozzo. They don't want to say bozo. No. So it's all, it's all good. Some I, people probably do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. In oh, my that's younger great, years, yeah. for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Do you have you like gone through like your sort of lineage and your history to, to understand like where the name came from and everything? Yeah. So that is also an interesting twist that um, or it got another twist about six years ago. So oh. I did the whole 23andMe thing yeah. and like 77 percent from the Italic Peninsula, which is Italy, another 23 percent from the Middle East and Northern Africa, which you can tell by my dark skin and um, my um, ancestor or my, my grandmas were born in the United States. Okay. My grandfathers were born down the street from each other, um, in a place called, really? Bona- yeah, yeah. In a place just outside of Cosenza, Calabria, which is Donaci Superiore. Um, and there's a Donaci Inferiore and Superiore. And I think one is further up on a hill than the other. Now I have never been South of Rome. Um, uh, in my travels. I think I've been to Italy about seven times. Um, about six years ago, we rolled into um, a town uh, in just south of Genoa called Camoli, and there's Bozzo everything, Bozzo yeah. real estate, <laughs> Bozzo market, Bozzo restaurant. And our Airbnb host, Carlo Pini, who's actually become like a very close family friend. We've oh, done house so exchanges. Cool. It's amazing. You know, you kind of throw a little trust into the wind and a lot sure. of good things come back to you. Um, and so um, Carlo was like, no, no I, I don't care where your grandparents were born. <laughs> you are from here. You are Genovese. Somebody <laughs> in your lineage traveled from Genoa to Calabria. Fine. Well, that's fine. Whatever. But you have returned home. You are a son of Genoa. And, oh, and that's so cool. So that was kind of amazing to um, uh, sort of discover um, that that name is really popular. That name is also our name. Bozzo is really popular in Argentina, Chile, Peru. There's a talk show host named Laura Bozzo in Peru. I think, um, you know, she's a political activist, too. Um, the government was after her for a while. Oh, no. Yeah. So um, we are actually are a pretty prolific name yeah. in Italy. Oh, that's it's just so cool. happens to also phonetically sound like a clown yeah. um, in the United States if you pronounce it wrong. So whatever. Well, I- I'm Borst and uh, there's nothing really sort of cool to sort of I've gone back to history. Everyone thinks it's like Russian or my grandmother's yeah. Polish and stuff. But I believe the name is actually Dutch. And huh. uh, if you Google it, uh, it's not that it's not that it's not safe for work, but it means a certain thing in a Dutch word that I'll leave to your own ah, devices to Google mm-hmm. and find. We'll be right back after this quick break for ads. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. Yeah. Uh, all right. So from Italy, you're now, uh, you know, Andy, uh, who is done all sorts of cool stuff in your life. And 
Uh, first, I want to find out, you know, what did you major in at Middlebury? What did you think of your time in Vermont? Just because I've got you on here. So I'm going to make yeah. a commercial for Vermont, uh, you know, tourism. It's fallout right now. Yeah, so. Middlebury <laughs> College admissions, you know. So yeah. I initially got recruited out of high school to either play Division One or Division Three water polo or swim oh. at the Division One level. Yeah. So I did the whole thing and I got, um, I kind of narrowed it down and I went on a recruit trip to the University of Southern California, go Trojans. And <laughs> I swam there for three seasons. And I just kind of, as a Northern California kid, I, you know, LA at the time <laughs> in my life didn't resonate with me. Sure. And I obviously went into USC with big promise and big dreams. And yeah. as it happens sometimes with college athletes, it doesn't line up the way, sure. you know, could I have that decision back and maybe have chosen a smaller school and played water polo? Yeah, I would have done that. But, you know, at the time, it just made sense to after three seasons, get out of there. And, um, you know, one of my very close friends had attended Middlebury College and I got to know that whole community. Um, and I just thought I needed a totally different experience. So I transferred to Middlebury. They actually Way up there in Vermont, they actually have a pretty good swim team. So I finished out my swim eligibility and I knew I was going to do five years of college, you know, just because as an athlete at a division one school, yeah. your academic load, you have to tailor it towards when you're in season, and when you're not. Yeah. And so, you know, and I was a biology major. And so I really, you know, some labs would go on hold for another semester or summer school, you know, that kind of thing. So in my fifth year or before uh, the end of my fourth year, after my swimming eligibility terminated, we were all joking around and it was like, oh, why doesn't Andy go out for the lacrosse team? And it was a joke, you know, ha ha ha. Well, then and this may be factors into the whole entre <laughs> entrepreneurial spirit. I was yeah. like, not so fast. Wait, you're saying I can't do it. Are you saying I can't? <laughs> you know, and so I walked on the lacrosse team. It was probably one of the most and I got like maybe this minutes of playing yeah. time the entire season. Sure. But being a member of that team, playing a role, um, you know, as a, a really hard practice player, as a, you know, an energy guy on the bench, um, that was an incredible experience to be a part of. My experience was not limited to athletics. I sure. loved Middlebury. That I mean, yeah. experiencing a Northeast fall, especially in Vermont, is magical. Um, there's a pancake house that's like way up in the woods. Um, and I can't even remember the town, uh, you know, I guess out towards Mount Pillar or whatever. Sure, but, yeah. um, and I'm sure there's a million of them, but where you, you know, they had taps actually running from the maple trees into the restaurant and just those, um, aspects and also getting a flavor for like how East coast folks, view the world. Um, you know, Middlebury is up in beautiful Vermont. Life is a little slower up there, but you have kids from Boston, yeah. DC, Chicago, you know, they are, you know, very, yeah. um, Vermont's you know, slow, fast. We have a lot of New Jersey, New York yeah, people yeah. that moved up here in the seventies yeah. and they tried to slow down. So yeah, you have this, like, no. sometimes it's really slow and sometimes it's really fast depending on who you run into. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the kids, worked really hard in class. They played really hard on the playing field and then they partied really hard. And so not, you know, not the priorities were always there, but like, sure. it was just like, just go, 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 go. Um, you know, it was very interesting, um, experience that way. So, you know, I kind of brought my West coast surfer like, Whoa, no, let's chill. You know, <laughs> sometimes that was viewed as like inauthenticity, but um, you know, it was like uh, uh, an interesting culture clash. To be fair, uh, so I was a snowboarder and a skier. We yeah. tried to steal that aesthetic for our own culture. You know, like all our skateboarding, like, you know, growing up, you know, we were doing skateboarding and, and snowboarding right as sort of like it was in its peak. And yeah. uh, I mean, we were learning everything from, you know, Southern California and stuff and trying to, you know, East Coast it. So I think there's a good synergy and, and symbiotic uh, relationship between California and Vermont. It's almost totally. like similar mindsets, but just like different in every single possible way. Uh, but I've only been to California, uh, I think twice and, uh, I loved it out there, but I yeah. was like, I also was kind of like, so it's this weather all the time, which I was like, yeah. that sounds nice in the winter, but like, yeah. I kind of like it cold sometimes and like yeah. only hot for a little while. So yeah, definitely. Uh, that's an interesting experience and I'm glad, 
uh, you got to do the full experience with the real maple syrup. Um, and hopefully you found a source back home where you can still get that. But uh, in that transition from Middlebury, so did you go right as, as a science teacher? Is that what you wanted to go to school for? And that's kind of where you ended up? or You know, I, honestly, like a lot of student athlete, 20-somethings, you're like, I don't really know what I want to do. You know, sure, you yeah. kind of have a direction-ish. Um, but, I mean, I applaud the kids that know exactly what they want to do. I that still don't know what me. I want to do. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I loved, like, I kind of started out in the biology field, like, down the molecular science and, um, you know, I'm going to go to medical school and all those things that you say. And I just really, you know, you do the whole survey, right? You do microbiology, you do biochem and all that. But then you also do sort of the macro stuff like um, botany and, um, you know, uh, natural history classes and zoology. And I started really getting into that. I was like, man, this is, I, I just like being outside, you know? Yeah. And honestly, one of the things at Middlebury that sort of happened for me is I attended a biology or a botany class, and I ended up doing a, a paper on fire succession in Western forests, uh -oh. which, and then I kind of came to understand that like the West is a fire maintained environment. Yeah. Um, I mean, I work for an urban-ish, urban rural department now, sure. but like wildfire really captivated me not only when I was five growing up in the country, you know, I grew up in the country for the first five years of my life in California, yeah. huge wildfire behind my house, um, lots of airplanes, helicopters and stuff. But then kind of approaching it from the scientific standpoint, you know, how fascinating that is that species have evolved, even how they, you know, distribute their seeds, um, in fire environments, you know, yeah. and, and the, um, chemistry of the soil and all of that is really dependent on fire. Now, that's like a lightning caused fire 300 sure. years ago, right? Now you've got totally different fire environment because of the encroachment of humans sure. into places like Aspen and Pebble Beach and the urban wherever rural interface. Like, this can't burn. This yeah. cannot burn. So yeah. for 200 years, we've aggressively said this will not burn well when it burns, because it's going to burn. It's true. Fire I, mean, I even care. live in an area where I'm like, this house is going to burn to the ground someday. <laughs> yeah, I really do. I'm like, oh, and, you know, I have a couple it's things. Do you accept the it? Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. you can do about it. You do your Can't best. get an insurance policy in California, and it's going to burn to the ground. Um, <laughs> but uh, that, um, that uh, fascinated me, and it sort of steered me towards the fire service, but it was a yet unformed sure. idea. And so I kind of launched into, you know, I'm really excited about science. I'm going to teach science. And I also, um, teaching afforded me the opportunity to coach. So I could coach and I could teach. And I really liked interacting with kids and kind of, I was a seventh grade science teacher. So it's sort of struck the inner goofball in me. Sure. And, um, you, you got to win I, that audience over. That's yeah, the middle oh, yeah. schoolers are tough. Yeah. They're really tough. And I think once you accept them for who they are and you meet them where they are, it's, it becomes, they start to, you know, really eat the content from yeah. your hand versus like, Oh, you know, we've got this guy, you know, yeah, yeah. we know where yeah. his goat is tied. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was it. So I, I spent, um, I spent, three years, four years as a teacher in California. And then I was like, I got to make money for graduate school if I'm going to, because teaching salaries, unfortunately, you know, the way we value education in this country and, uh, and how we pay teachers is, it just tells you how much we, we don't. Oh yeah. My wife's know. a teacher. Most right. of my, uh, my wife's family is a teacher. Like they've got generations of teaching and, uh, yeah, it is, uh, it's egregious, especially when you, uh, you know, recognize the, the value of it and how it's not just, you know, cool. We're going to teach you to, learn this basic subject matter. It's, we're going to help you evolve as a human being and we're going right. to get you through the darkest times of your life. Like they're therapists, they're social workers, they're yeah. caregivers, all this stuff. So I have absolute love for teachers. So yeah. Yeah. My teachers and coaches from 
Middlebury to USC to my school here that I went, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson School, you know, even my middle school and, and elementary school years, they all made impacts on my life. Yeah. But we don't value them as a society. Yeah. And I mean, you know, unfortunately, it's the United States of America. So how do you value someone? You pay them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but we just don't do that. So yeah. I had to go like make supplemental income and also make money to pay for grad school sure. so then I could be at a higher salary scale uh, as a teacher because I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to teach. But let me get this wildfire thing out of my <laughs> system because it keeps gnawing at me. Yeah. And so I started fighting fires for Cal Fire when I was like 27. Um, and I'm telling you, the first day on the job, first Hooked. whiff of smoke, it was like, that's it. Yeah. I'm not I'm not going back to teaching unless I have to. Yeah. And so I spent about two years teaching, taking tests, and being a seasonal firefighter. And finally, in um, 2000, I landed a job. Uh, my wife, as a teacher, moved us to Washington State. I kind of left Cal Fire kicking and screaming because I thought I was going to be a Cal Fire firefighter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I landed a job with a very um, municipal um, urban fire department, which then was called Kent Fire and Life Safety, but now it's called Puget Sound Fire, and it kind of surrounds um, the Seattle metro region. Great fire department, great mentors. Um, and one of my mentors actually works with us at Tablet Command today, retired Deputy Chief um, uh, Eric Tomlinson. And so, you know, he's just an example of the character of people there. And then yeah. I kind of slipped by, I was on a, another list which was the Tacoma Fire Department. So I did two and a half years at Kent and I got selected for the Tacoma Fire Department Academy. And as hard as it was to leave the personnel in Kent because they were, it was just a wonderful family and a wonderful group of people. I really, if I was gonna be an urban firefighter, I really wanted to do it in the oldest city that was offering me a job. Yeah. And Tacoma's really old and we, they burned a lot. And so um, I did a lot of reps in Tacoma um, I learned a lot about myself and about firefighting, um, there, you know, and so that was also a valuable experience. One doesn't trump the other. They sure. just, they were both additive to my formation as a firefighter and, um, you know, led to, um, you know, my eventual employment with Contra Costa County fire where I've been for, I think I'm in my 17th or 18th year there now. Um, and also my understandings of, uh, understandings of incident command, major emergency management, and hence kind of led to tablet command. Yeah. So let's talk about tablet command. So obviously yeah. ICS, you know, essentially started in California. I mean, Firescope mm -hmm. was, it was the original ICS, obviously that much of that was borrowed and sort of stolen and reconfigured from military C2 right. and stuff. Um, and it sort of feels like not much has evolved <laughs> over the course of time. So uh, I think for a lot of us, like I was just one of those people, especially coming into the fire service, you know, I was a volunteer firefighter for over a decade, did EMS and stuff. Uh, I was also a huge geek and a nerd and I love technology and I was trying to integrate it at every point. And at every point I was sort of like, well, hold on. Like we put the wet stuff on the red stuff. We do not put computer screens anywhere near this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a lot of sort of like near the tween shall meet. Right. Um, and of course there was a generational gap. I'm a, uh, a millennial, I guess, technically a geriatric millennial, which is like <laughs> the most disgusting Whoa. term I've ever heard in my I've life. I've never heard that before. Oh yeah. I came across this and it, uh, it absolutely unraveled me for, Yikes. Uh, I'm 39. I'm like, I'm over the hill. I'm dying. Uh, oh so, man, what an yeah, existential it was, crisis. It was bad. Yeah. I'm turning 40 this year. I I'm spiraling ever since I heard that. So All right, dude, well, I'm 52. <laughs> so, you know, it's, oh, dude, uh, you look great. Uh, 52. Uh, I hope I, I hope I still have uh, energy and at 52 because the whatever the geriatric millennial thing made me feel like I was ready for a walker and that it was game over for me. So now you just got to uh, throw that term out with the <laughs> bathwater, man. Yeah. So I'm, I, I feel like I'm in this like bridging uh, generation where, you know, like the the Gen X and, and sort of boomers behind me that mm -hmm. that were raising me as a firefighter and an EMT and stuff, you know, were very much like it's the fundamentals that matter and stuff. 
And then uh, I was starting to see this like evolution of like, well, there's a lot of new stuff like the fire service has has evolved, of course, like, you know, air packs at least were, were standard, but like air packs were getting lighter. There was some, you know, uh, basic telemetry that was starting to yeah. show up. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the pump panels were going digital. The communications are going digital. So this stuff was sort of like coming in, but it was like every new thing that came in that I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to make our job so much easier. Mm -hmm. It was like fighting and fighting and fighting to introduce this. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I always sort of boggled my mind was like command because a good chief and a really good unified command, when you see it, I mean, it's just chaos. It is. There's papers everywhere. There's, you know, they're, they're writing stuff on whiteboards. You're old command board it was like if you didn't understand the handwriting and stuff you yeah, were lost yeah, yeah and it really took a conductor to run it well and if you didn't have that conductor uh you know chiefs on vacation or retires and the next person comes up doesn't have that skill set it's like unravels and you got to start all over again so the idea of introducing that technology to that role i think is something i've always been interested in and i'm really curious like what did like, did you straight up come up with this? Like, was this something you were sort of like building over the course of your career? Like, how did you decide, like, I'm going to solve this or I'm, I'm going to build something to help solve this? Yeah. So I have an amazing capacity for minutia in the brain. Yeah. And <laughs> um, so I picked up things, you know, even so as I was a, a Cal, uh, Cal Fire firefighter, you know, when you're off season, you tend to be, um, you know, a paid call for some sure. association. And my first paid call fire department was right here in Carmel, California, the Cypress Fire Protection. And, you know, we had these cool Velcro tags that had your name on it. And when you when you occupied a spot on the engine, you put your Velcro tag there. And so it was like, all right, noted. I, all right. Someone knows that I'm on this yeah. engine. It's Velcro, but OK, <laughs> noted, um, you know, and then you start. Uh, being introduced as you're moving from department to department with um, these staffing programs, some of them being index cards, some of them being on the computer. Okay, noted. And then you start watching, um, you know, your most dialed in incident commanders and how they're managing fires. And I think probably the most compelling thing that I saw was like, the incident commander that had a built-in file cabinet in the back of their command buggy yeah. and pulled out the pre-printed tactical worksheet, that was like, whoa, that is avant-garde, you know, yeah. that's cutting edge. And so to see that with regard to even, you know, you just mentioned something about like transcription and recognizing handwriting, that took some of the guesswork out of it. Um, you know, I watched, uh, you know, my, one of my battalion chiefs in the Kent Fire Department, Paul Wright, came up with a plexiglass system with Velcro strips. And he would just take our engine tags with our Velcro names on it and move them from staging to fire attack. He had a ventilation column. He had all these different things. So I thought, all right, so analog, we're walking those things across the Velcro tag and what he's doing. And he even, I think he even had, he was one of the only incident commanders I've ever seen in my 25 year career that actually had like a stopwatch. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of interesting. So people, and then I started learning more about Alan Brunacini. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in the later years, Anthony Castros yeah. and these organized approaches to incident command, they were all sort of overlapping in different ways. Um, and, you know, if you're searching for a way, you know, fire departments are searching for a way to organize that incident command, just from a philosophical standpoint, you know, Anthony's doing a great job out there. He's out there, you know, teaching fire departments how to sort of organize that. And he kind of picked it up where Alan had sort of laid a foundation um, as well. And, you know, his book, Fire Command, and that took from Fire Scope, which is more of a large disaster method, you know, but the thing was, it's like, even in my fire department where we currently, where I serve, we run about a wildland fire a day or more per day in the summer. You know, wow. they can be less than an acre sure. um, or they could be 10 acres or more. But when it's 105, 115, um, you know, you, we do get a significant amount of reps. And so it's like, boom, here's that incident command system. You better have it 
dialed in and a lot of that comes from those early techniques. So there was a lot of overlap and a lot of sure. influence. It's sort of like, I'm gonna get this wrong, so sorry for musicians, but it's like, <laughs> um, you know, I think Mozart was influenced by Beethoven, who was influenced by Brahms, who was, you know, so all these great artists took inspiration from each yeah. other, even, you know, uh, art, paint artists as well. And um, so it's that same thing in the Incident Command scope. So you asked me, okay, did I just like dream up Tablet Command? No, I mean, I, I've been a student of the Incident Command game since the get-go, and I've always been fascinated with like war stuff and military stuff and hierarchies and organizations as well. And then I lived down the road from the Naval Postgraduate School, so I've been privy to some interesting talks and conversations and literature that's come out of there in terms of command and control. Um, but again, you know, being a member of the fire service and for a long time being a firefighter at the end of the nozzle, um, you know, in a fire, hoping someone at least knows where I am, um, that was, that, that made an impression on me that sure. incident command systems were really important. So probably the catalyst boils down to two things. In 2007, we had two line of duty deaths in our department, same, same incident, two wow. line of duty yeah. deaths. Um, the short story for people who haven't heard this is the fire came in as a fire alarm. Our, I know probably in Fire Department USA, fire alarm is different than working structure fire in terms of yeah. response, situational awareness, all of that. And they get about a half a block away. They see a column of smoke. They call a full response. They find out two elderly people are trapped. They go in there with a hose line. They're trying to locate the victims. They actually locate one victim. They go back in to find the next victim. The fire conditions were, um, you know, cross, uh, the fire conditions, in addition to the building construction, um, lent itself to sort of a disastrous outcome. And both the two citizens and our two firefighters from our department died yeah. in the line of duty. And one of the things that came out from the NIOSH report and from the investigation was you guys have in inadequate command and control. This was right about the time that people were bringing their iPhones to work. You know, yeah. maybe like a year later, things were starting to really percolate. You know, it was like, hey, I've got this new iPhone. People, you know, I, I even remember um, I was in recruit school. So I had been an eight-year firefighter. You know, I'd gone into plenty of buildings on fire. But yeah. as, as it is in the fire service, if you change fire departments, you have to start from the bottom. Yeah. So I was in recruit school when this went down. But I even remember like classmates in my recruit school, you know, they were the first, I still had a flip phone and these guys had like iPhones are like, Oh yeah, I can get on the internet right now. Yeah. And I'm like, you can do that. Like you can search the internet from a phone. What are you talking about? Well, about two years later, my own technology, um, knowledge is coming up a little bit. Um, and I was playing words with friends, but I was playing it and thinking about this presentation that I had to give to some battalion chiefs because we could not agree on Velcro tags or some other analog system for sure. personnel accountability. And I'm like spelling words and like moving tiles onto the Scrabble board with words yeah. with friends. I was like, oh, all right, wait a minute. That playing board is the fire ground. And that letter that I just dragged onto the fire ground is an engine company yeah. that's probably capable of holding staffing and an assignment. And someone else, just like in Words with Friends, from across the world or 10 floors up um, or, you know, 10 miles away on Division Lima Lima can see that I just gave them these people. So this has to take flight. This has to live. And that's sort of where Tablet Command was born. We, a lot of people have said to us, and I, and I will say, yes, I'm one of the founders. Um, I hatched this idea on paper as, yeah. because I, it's funny. I, I thought about a technical, technological <laughs> idea that had to go back to pencil and paper yeah. to hatch it out. And then I, about a month into it, I reached out to a friend of mine that was also a firefighter at Contra Costa County. Um, and he had been at Contra Costa about five months longer than I had been or maybe 10 months, I don't know, but, um, and I said, and he was, I knew he was a technological, uh, had, had aficionado, um, and uh, I said, I've got to take these paper drawings and put them onto a tablet, because tablets are coming. 
he was convinced right away. And that's when we started this, I will call it a conversation yeah. with the fire service at large, because all these people were kind of rushing to the, at least the entrance of the fairgrounds, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, some of us I'd say have made it to the other end. Um, but this is really a collective thought process. And now, I mean, the tablet command team, not to sound salesy, but we have, you know, firefighters from all over the country that have served in roles from battalion chief to deputy chief to chief of the department. You know, they're either advisors or full-time employees that have been, you know, retired from the fire service. They work for the office of emergency services. They come from the city of San Francisco. They come from, um, you know, uh, large urban metro departments to wildland to urban rural interface um, departments. And so, and we barnstorm all over the country and we put this product on the chopping block. Even today, it's over 10 years old. And we put it on the chopping block and say, hey, Charlotte, what do you need? Hey, Charlotte, North Carolina, what do you need? Hey, Jacksonville, Florida, what do you need? Hey, Columbus, Ohio, what do you need? You know, because I think one of the hurdles and stigmas that we're trying to make sure that everybody knows is that like I, I can go into a high rise and fight a high rise fire. Yeah. I go to apartment fires all the time. I yeah. go to house fires all the time. I go to, you know, large hazardous materials incidents, uh, as frequently as large hazardous materials incidents happen. We're not just a wildland fire department with air tankers dropping yeah, yeah. pink stuff. We, yes, that's part of our componentry, but we are like you. I just was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I just was blown away at how similar we are. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, they're big, like they have 44 stations. They have tons of truck companies. A lot of new stuff organized. too, yeah. Very professional department. Yeah. I mean, I just was so impressed. And yet we're all talking the same language. So I just yeah. want to make sure that it's like, hey, well, I'm not a California dude that like, <laughs> is just digging fire line. Like we, yeah, yeah. we have this product that is suitable for you anyway. Well, and there's buy-in too, right? I mean, like, Correct. I think one of the things that's really challenging in emergency services is like when you're pitched something by someone who's saying, you know, I've got this new thing and you're like, cool, what department are you with? What agency do you belong to? And they're like, Nope, I'm uh, just a, a software engineer. Yeah. I, I saw how you guys do something and I thought I could fix that. And very well, they probably could. Yeah. Um, but the sort of gatekeeping of professional services, some rightfully so, right? Like I want your, if I'm using your software, like I want to make sure it's not going to get me or the people I care about killed. Right. Uh, or create more of a headache for me. Um, you know, it could be really challenging. So I think having a cadre of folks, you know, from uh, the field also helps to sort of just build that legitimacy and I imagine it also helps you in the evolution of the product because you have people that are not only like, hey, here's a really cool idea. And the software engineer takes it and they go, all right, I built it in. And then you go, all right, we're going to go literally go try this out right now because I'm on my way to whatever. And yeah. I'm going to see how that works. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm assuming that's by design, right? Like, you you know what you're doing with sort of like bringing these folks in. But how did you find uh, like, I guess, is there a population of firefighters out there? That's big enough to say, like, we're ready for, like, this new technology evolution. Yeah. I mean, the way that we were able to sort of seed the product into the fire service is really interesting in itself. Um, I would say the spirit was willing from coast to coast from the get-go, and the infrastructure was weak to yeah. sort of borrow a biblical, um, <laughs> you know, phrase and paraphrase. So there have been fire chiefs, like really even early on in the life cycle of Metro departments, like I have a credit card. How many licenses can I buy right now? Yeah. The problem was here we are rolling in all with our newfangled iOS platform and um, IT managers were like, no, yeah. you know, barred. We don't even think about our iOS. Um, that's, you know, that's great if you want to create something in a vacuum uh, CAD integration is not going to happen in this department, not on my watch, you know. Um, so a lot of Microsoft heritage type of IT managers were the initial roadblocks, not necessarily the rank and file. And when I say sure. rank and file, I don't even mean firefighters. I mean like battalion chiefs and fire yeah. chiefs that could see, hey, 
They knew, intellectually, being intellectually honest with themselves, they knew that listening to a radio and reading a paper readout and sticking their heads down and <laughs> writing down all the resources that were coming to this two-alarm apartment fire or this four-alarm Home Depot fire or warehouse fire, whatever it's going to be, that that caused a gap in communication and thickened the fog of war. So they yeah. knew when they saw it, they were like, oh, you guys are totally onto something. Can you CAD integrate it? And we got lucky early on in our own fire department that they trusted us enough to manage the data in a secure way to sort of pilot what CAD integration was going to look like. And then we had some really unlikely candidates in some old school fire departments in California that said, yes. And then we had some old school departments in like Denver um, and San Francisco, like D city of Denver and yeah, San yeah. Francisco that said yes early because they realized that it's like, even if I can get like one of the, one of the wins, the early wins that we have been able to score with tablet command and just one of the immediate benefits is that if you're an incident commander, and I don't care if it's a single alarm house fire or a multi-alarm high-rise fire, if you can look down at your tablet and look at who's coming on the first alarm, second alarm, third alarm, and you can see them in real time through AVL, that's a win. And that's like one tap of the finger, maybe two. That's a win. If that kept you off the radio on your command channel from listening to dispatch, reel off this shopping list while the smoke's getting blacker, you know, you've got a line of dudes waiting for, or gals waiting for an assignment. And it's just that, that in itself is saving time and saving time um, saves lives. And so uh, that enhancement was a win. You know, it, it has to come with CAD integration, sure. but that enhancement was a win. And as we got more and more customers testifying to that, hey, I looked down, I could see where my crews were on ABL, I could give them appropriate assignments, I could pull them out of the danger zone. That, that then sort of, oh my gosh, this is a terrible pun, but touched off a fire yeah. in different receptive nodes around the country. There, we had a lot, and then sort of in the middle part of the life cycle, we had a lot of customers that said, yeah, no, 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 we totally want it. We're waiting for this person to retire out of yeah. IT so that yeah. we can, you know, but someone's waiting in the wings that's really receptive to it. So interestingly enough, the challenges have been more um, human. I mean, integration is a breeze. It's easy. Yeah. Integra API integration is, I'm not going to say it's a breeze. I, that's me over-assuming for sure. our tech team and our integration team. But they do a fantastic job and they just, they know it in and out and they have not met um, uh, a CAD, a computer-aided dispatch software that they cannot integrate with. It's sort of the human piece that surrounds that with regard to management and acceptance that, hey, this is, um, this is something that is uh, easy to manage and your people, more importantly, your firefighters want it, your captains yeah. want it, your yeah. engineers want it, your battalion chiefs want it. So it's been kind of interesting that way. And how has, so obviously like, uh, your background's fire. Uh, yeah. a lot of folks are, are, that are in the circle are fire, but like, I imagine there's other fields now that are looking at this and saying like, well, we want it cause we don't have anything like this as well. Or we just want to be included. Like as an emergency manager, you know, for a long time, uh, you, especially in a major disaster, like you're making these requests for a huge amount of resources mm -hmm. and you're hoping that the resource manager at a staging area is capturing this stuff and is reporting it correctly. But like, you have no real time picture. It is like paper. And then like mm -hmm. every ops period, hopefully you're getting uh, the correct information as things coming in. It's really, really hard to track that all. Um, and so 
like as an emergency manager, I'm hearing this and I'm like, all right, what about like, could the cop cars, you know, get this? Could the ambulance get this? Could our public works get it potentially where, you know, we could manage uh, infrastructure failures and stuff on there? Yeah. So that's a great question. So in our system where I work currently, um, my department where I work, we have EMS and fire on the same platform. So through AVL, through resource management, they're right there. And you know, unfortunately, we work in the United States of America where, you know, mass shootings is a thing. Yeah. And then you've got a lot of people just in transit all the time. So mass casualty incidents, whether they're intentional or um, due to an accident, besides the fact that it seems like natural disasters are not getting smaller, they are getting yeah. bigger. Uh, we get that a reminder of that every summer with wildfires and the subsequent evacuations or floods and the subsequent... Yeah evacuations. And so the ones that have sort of peaked over the fence for a long time that are now starting to come over for the barbecue, so to speak, is uh, PD. And so we've got um, some law enforcement agencies that are now seeing the value because the um, importance of unified command, either during intentional mass casualty incidents um, and knowing where your officers are, vehicle location versus personnel location, also knowing where they fit in, in the incident command picture, um, as as you're building your zones, right? Uh, you know, who's in the warm zone, who's in the cold zone and and hopefully you're not in the wrong one. Yeah. And the other important thing from a practical standpoint is just pairing up, you know, or, or putting together your RTFs, you know, your, your rescue task force. And, you know, you basically have one cop with a gun up front and you have one cop to your rear with a gun. And then a bunch of us, um, EMTs and paramedics, like, I hope we don't get shot, uh, yeah. <laughs> before we get, and it's those guys, but we're work now we are truly working together. It's almost like yeah. we're on the same hose line. Yeah. So it's important to know where they are and what they're doing. So that's where law enforcement and the unified command structure is really important. It's also really important in the whole evacuation thing. And again, sure. you know, uh, public service announcement for, for us, it's mostly wildfire and it's sheriffs and cops going door to door saying, get yeah. out. The fire's coming, but in the East Coast neck of the woods, it's get out, the flood is coming, or the hurricane is coming, yeah. or the tornado is coming. And so incorporating them into the common operating picture is really important. And then naturally for us on the West Coast, and again, there's an East Coast application through all the natural disasters that occur there through floods and hurricanes, is the AT&Ts, the Verizons, yeah. the PG&Es. We've had... The conversations, um, they're interested in what we're doing. And the next step is to, you know, really search for important ways to incorporate us all onto one single pane of glass without overwhelming the user. You know, yeah. and I, I'm your typical user. I'd, t- I'd say that one of the values I bring is like, hey, I'm kind of a Joe guy with dirt under his nails. And, yeah. you know, I, I have, I'm working as an acting battalion chief right now, and I have to refrain myself from picking up fire hose or taking yeah. a line into the building or grabbing sure. a long handled tool and overhauling. Like my job is not that anymore and it's really weird, um, you know, but my job is to see this larger scope and know how to escalate an incident and know how to um, track units and hand off to like a larger incident management team, you know, going from a type four to a type three, um, being a part of that picture, rolling into a type two. And so, you know, our product is really appropriate for that um, because again, it was sort of born in the West where like you can have a resource package of a hundred, like no problem. Like that's a, that's an afternoon in July. We're so jealous over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, you know, and you should come out. I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. It's just like, it's 102. We will be getting units from all over the region. You yeah. Know? So um, it, is a, it is a pretty common occurrence and um, it's just a function of population as well. So Sure, yeah. What's the, what's the like... What's next, right? Like, obviously, I'm going to ask you about AI. Like, AI yeah. is, uh, uh, we, I've talked about it a lot on here. I've had uh, a bunch of people on, uh, Micah Gaudet, who's been doing, like, AI and just general government services. Um, we had David Reedman, who works for Zero Eyes. AI is is enhancing things. It's making things easier. But, like, 
sometimes it's introduced to stuff just for the sake of introducing it. Have you guys sort of like started thinking like, how can we actually use this to empower our users or make it easier? So one of the things like Will Pigeon, who's the co-founder of Tablet Command, um, and he's the technical co-founder for all intents and purposes, um, and currently functioning as a CEO and CTO, um, he, one of his biggest values is that he's really intentional with every feature. Yeah. I think us firefighters sometimes can be like dogs where it's like, <laughs> or sharks where it's like, there's blood in the water. Let's yeah. go for it. Yeah, yeah. And there's a danger that you run with the most important thing is that the current product that we have, that we circle a red line around that and make sure that that is 99.99999% yeah. uptime at all times. Yeah. And then with every feature that we stack on top of that, that we don't topple over the core feature with bugs and lose our audience, so to speak, and sort of tell that story of, oh, they're just going the way of every other technology company where they've overloaded it with features. Um, there's no real intentionality here. And so we have talked... Uh, at great length about AI and how important it will be. It, I'll, I'll use an, an example or a tangent that may not seem related, but I'll try and tie a bow around it. Currently, we have fire departments like Sacramento Fire and Independent Evolution, um, uh, Charlotte Fire. They both did these on their own. They're tablet command customers. They go to a lot of fires uh, yeah. daily. So... Let's just say on the west side of town, each department, they get dispatched to a fire. Maybe it's a two-alarm fire, whatever it is. On the east side of town, a BC will hear that. That's working. And they'll yep. say, you know what? I'm going to start managing it for them. I'm listening to all the radio reports. I'm listening to the captain's size up. I know he's got two out established. I'm going to check off a few of these items that I've heard. They have a permanent water supply. Simple things that we can all say, like, did you hear that? Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, it's cat's. It's time stamped. It's in the, the notes, the activity notes and tablet come in and they'll start managing it based on what they're hearing on the radio. Well, you know, those are ways that, you know, and then when the BC arrives, let me, I'll finish the point. Sometimes I get a little ADD when that, <laughs> when those West side BCs arrive, that incident is halfway built for them. Yeah. It's like on the right track. Everybody's in the right bucket. Sure. They can reconcile that. Yes, indeed. Um, engine 85 is working for engine 86. Um, they're, they're on, they have fire attack and two out established. Um, they're also performing a primary search and we have truck 84 going to the roof. Like they can both, they can see that they can see it visually. They can reconcile it on the radio. Um, and they can verbally talk to whoever's, you know, the engineer who's also saying that's all good. Well, we've talked about ways that AI might be able to take easy wins or easily yeah. digestible, verifiable information and suggest, not make it gospel, but say to the IC, hey, sounds like you have this, this, and this, and this going on. But there, the reliability, there has to be an out for our users. Yeah. And the reliability has to be like bullseye dead on. And yeah. so that's where we're going you know, I think with some of the things that, um, you know, we're still going to provide core features, sure. crew splitting, yeah. Yeah. division and group management. You yeah. know, if I'm a division soup, I can manage my five units on my division, um, you know, incorporating radio traffic into tablet command, but there will be a place for it. Um, and again, to honor and to respect our core group of users, which I am honored to say I'm a part of. We really have to make sure that we can authentically present something that doesn't, you know, can I swear on this podcast? Sure, yeah. Um, that doesn't scare the shit out of them <laughs> to say, like, a robot is managing my incident yeah. now, not me. Yeah. That's the last thing we want. So yeah. that's kind of yeah, where no, we are. I, I So I am 
I'm in a constant push pull with this type of technology because mm-hmm. it excites me. There's uh, so I did an episode where I basically ran a, a few simultaneous incidents. I recommend you listen to it just for fun. You can yeah, get an idea of sort I'll, of what I was doing. I wanted to see, cause you know, as an emergency manager, I'm, I'm largely a, a resource manager. Like that's what our job is. We're supposed right. to sort of track it and we're in a scarcity of resources. So when you're talking a larger and larger, larger scale, and emergency management agencies, fire departments, we're not getting more people, right? This is where I see AI as being a huge advantage is starting to like figure out like, how is this a force multiplier? And so I started running through it. Now, of course, uh, trust but verify everything that's AI yeah. right now. It's all based and, and it, it needs to be built for you, right? Like chat, I'm not recommending you throw chat GPT in there. It might be helpful for some things. Maybe you can yeah. be like, hey, I need to know uh, the friction loss of this yeah. line up through that window and I can't Absolutely. do the math right now. My brain is shot. Um, that type of stuff. But like, yeah, hundred percent. I think there's a lot of opportunity. I'm actually, uh, relieved that you're not just like, yeah, we're, we're finding just, we're going to jam it into this. Right. Yeah, because no. at the end of the day, you guys have a life safety mission. And, um, you know, I, I think that's one of the hard things, particularly in public safety, where I, I found it more so after nine 11, which is really, as I was coming up, there was just so much stuff being jammed down our throats for mm-hmm. like, this is going to help you with, command and control and anti-terrorism and all We're this other stuff. We're still sorting it out too, right? And those companies just disappeared overnight, <laughs> yeah. right? Like they just yeah. sold us a bunch of crap and then they pulled up shop and they left. I mean, that, how right. many departments have these huge command vehicles that they're like, oh, there's a $20,000, $30,000 maintenance fee on this thing every year because mm-hmm. the tires are insanely expensive. The generator needs tons of maintenance. These screens and computers go out of date every two years. We yeah. got to replace those, the radios, all this stuff. So I, I, I'm actually relieved that there's a thoughtful approach to this. Cause like you said, I think there's a lot of opportunity and, uh, there's two mindsets. And I think the mindsets that are, I mean, you can look at all the software developers that are making this stuff and it's like some pop up and then they're gone overnight. Like you just never hear from them again. And, um, you have a really trusted audience. It sounds like, so you don't want to do that. (laughs) No, because the reason we don't want to do it is number one. And again, I'm, I'm part of this cadre of people right. within Tablet Command that rolls to structure fires 90 to 95% of the time. Yeah. I roll to, well, may, maybe like, you know, 80% of, 80% of the, the major incidents that I roll to, I don't go to 80% structure fires. That's, I, don't want, I want to make sure that that <laughs> doesn't come up. Um, you know, we go to, I'm lucky enough that we do go to about sure. a working fire a tour, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. But, what I want to say is of the major incidents, structure fire being part of that, 80% yeah. of those are single alarm structure fires. Sure. Then there's another 20% that get into like multiple alarms or the major wildland fire yeah. campaigns or the major flood campaigns. So the way we approached Tablet Command was let's put a product in everybody's hand that they use all the time yeah and then we'll stack layers for that management of that larger incident and that's what we've done over the last decade yeah what i've seen with the companies that you reference is they see a terrible event happen on the news and they go we've got to fix this yeah and then they engineer something for a major incident that is involves keyboarding and just even biomechanics yeah that you're not doing as an emergency responder, you're just not doing, you're not flipping over a laptop and this isn't Star Trek. We're not yes. there yet. <laughs> you know, I don't have Jordy LaForge over here, like, um, engineering an algorithm on the fly to defeat the Klingons, you know, like I've got, it's a great nerd get, reference. I'm going to New yeah, York Comic Con next week. So I really yeah, appreciate all right, it. All right, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm big, big, uh, big nerd, uh, big nerd underneath uh, this exterior. Here, but, um, <laughs> There is a, uh, and so we, we wanted to gain trust yeah. and we also wanted to gain use case by saying, yeah, this is applicable to your bread and butter residential structure fire because my 80% is just like everybody else's 80%, you know, yeah. um, whether you're, um, uh, a, um, combination department, you know, the 80% of the major incidents that you are going to firefighter USA is going to be single alarm yeah residential structure fire then the you know you'll go into the multi alarms and then you'll get into the major disasters and some of the other um you know more complex incidents but i didn't we we as a team very early on saw 
some of that technology that our departments spent, in some cases, millions of dollars yeah. on. Yeah. And it was excellent at collecting dust. Yeah. Everyone looked at it. <laughs> we took a lot of time from our core competency yeah. skills to train on something that we never used. Yeah. So what we fight sometimes is like, dude, we love Tablet Command, but we spent our money on this blah, blah, blah that yeah. nobody uses. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, so how many budget cycles before we can catch you? And they're like, two. So yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's that, like, we'll be here for you. And we've yeah. been doing this for over a decade now, and, and we're going to continue to be here. So, yeah. um, you know, we'll catch you on the flip side, so to speak, if you yeah. sort of spent your money on the cotton candy <laughs> on the way. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, it's, you know, you, it's tabletcommand.com, right? Like you can just go Correct. there and then spend the money, uh, as soon as, uh, you're freed up from your last, uh, terrible investment, which is a real thing when it you said that thing. I, oh my gosh, I, I, there's so many things I I've been on both ends of it too, where I've, I've pushed us into that where I'm like, this is the solution. And then like, oh crap, this was not the solution. Yeah. And I just spent, you know, uh, way too much money on something that I was overpromised and underdelivered on. But uh, do you think you're going to stay active as a firefighter forever, or what is? Are you going to like I eventually I hang your hat? <laughs> I know it's like really, really hard. And uh, we just recently we have uh, a new podcaster who's a buddy of mine who's a firefighter, and I sort of have disconnected from that world a little bit. I still do USAR. I'm actually about to hang up my hat on USAR, mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm drawn back in there. Like it's hard to get out of it, but at some point, you know this company, are you going to run it all the time? Are you just going to try to keep this balance of doing the, the, the fun job and doing the, the, the work job? I mean, I guess well, they're probably both fun jobs to be honest, but yeah, no, they're great. I mean, they're both fun. Fortunately, we have about 16 to 18 employees that are yeah. full-time and retired. They're retired yeah, or, yeah. um, the technical co-founder will pigeon. He bravely made the leap from, yeah. and he's younger than me and he bravely, bravely, made the leap from um, full-time fire and part-time tablet command to full-time tablet command, which is like three jobs for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and we have a lot of guys that are, are really doing that. Um, yeah, the, the answer to that question, you know, am I gonna ever come over full-time is TBD. Yeah. I really love what I'm doing. I yeah. really love using the product in the field. It sounds I like you really, have a sweet spot right now. Right now I do because I can go like, uh, you know, in this past year I've gone to um, meet with firefighters and chiefs from the Columbus area, yeah. from Violet Township, yeah. um, from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I'm, I definitely at every opportunity, I'm, I'm headed down to, um, Southern California for a conference in a couple of weeks. I'll be at FDIC in Indianapolis. So at every opportunity that I can hop on a plane and barnstorm around the country and talk to fellow firefighters yeah. and we can talk shop, yeah. um, and the blend, because it is, it's like, I'm, you're basically our typical customer is looking up doing real fire things. And yeah. we're kind of sneaking in and handing them a tablet going, here, use this. And they're like, oh, my God, that's Ooh. great. But it's yeah. like the brilliance of Tablet Command is at-a-glance technology that's doing yeah. a lot for you yeah. that a pencil and paper can't do. And the over-engineered, you know, um, product that the kids from, you know, you insert fancy college CS yeah. department or insert fancy company um, can't do either. Yeah. Uh, because we're talking the real language. Will has talked the real language for 20 years. I've been at it for 25, 26 years. We have guys that have been on the job, you know, 30 years. So we can talk the real language, translate those needs and wants into a technological solution that's not going to overwhelm you in the yeah. moment that you can either get back to or put on pause for a second. And then get, it's like, it's just seamlessly enhancing your workflows. It's yeah. laying right on top of what your normal workflows are. You know, be, uh, our, our TC mobile product um, on Android and iPhone and then Tablet Command, which is coming to Android soon and it's on iOS um, and has been for a long time. And we're getting great responses around the country for that, so. Well, Andy, I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate learning about your background. I think, uh, a lot of folks who come out of the fire service sort of like try to figure out what they want to do. You yeah. found this like great mix of like, I don't have to leave the fire service suckers. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think the software is really cool. I, I'm a huge fan of 
you know, again, leveraging technology to make lives easier uh, and do the job better. And it sounds like you guys have that uh, figured out. So really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you and find Tablet Command? Yeah, they can find me and or Tablet Command at tabletcommand.com. Um, they can also uh, find us uh, on Instagram, Facebook, X, Threads, LinkedIn, all of the um, all of the uh, social media channels. Um, you know, we've been on the news a handful of times, national news a handful of times, um, and so we're out there in the ecosystem. You know, I'm on LinkedIn as well, um, and I and Facebook. So I encourage you all to reach out if you have questions. We have a great sales team that'll take care of you. We have a great tech team that'll take care of you and our support and our customer service is unmatched because we cannot look you in the face at the next trade show and and listen to how our product failed you. You know, we really want to be, um, you know, own, we want to take owners of your success, uh, take ownership of your success by providing that service. So you can find us at all those channels and of course, again, tabletcommand.com. Awesome. Well, 30 minutes turned into 60 minutes, which I knew was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, for everyone who made it through, you know, like, comment, subscribe, uh, certainly go find Andy and Tablet Command and all those things. Uh, go through the, the history of his family's uh, entire running of a community in Italy, it sounds like. Um, and I appreciate you listening. So thank you, Andy. Have a great rest of your day. And thank you, Zach. I really appreciate it. Have a great one.